Well, this evening, we are back in our study in James. Uh, we're almost drawing to the end. We're at the very uh, end. This is uh, part two of what Mark preached last week. We're working through our series called Faith That Works, and tonight is part two of uh, uh, prayer. I'm <laughs> just blank. Faith That Works, uh, and we're looking on a praying faith. There it is, a praying faith. Uh, that's not good, is it? If I blank on the title. Uh, but last week, Mark unpacked amazingly well uh, and gave us so much great content as he preached through James chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. There were a whole, there was a whole lot of real estate he covered in that, and I just thought he did such a good job of, of unpacking all of that. Um, and tonight, we're looking at the follow-up of that as, as we look at James, the brother of Jesus, has written a letter, and James, uh, f- uh, right after Mark's passage from last week, he gives an illustration to help explain what he means in that teaching passage. And so... Uh, that's what we're looking at tonight is the illustration. One good indicator, one indicator of a good preacher or a good teacher is the ability to give good illustrations. Uh, this is something I have learned f- by personal experience that it doesn't come naturally to everybody. <laughs> you have to g- grow and cultivate that. It's an art form. But the best illustrations meet the audience right where they are. It meets the hearer right where they are. They're they're relatable and they're understandable. And James gives a a fantastic illustration in our passage that that is both of those things. It is relatable, it is understandable, and and it is both of those things, especially to his original audience, who who would have been made up of believers, but mostly coming from a Jewish background, who would have been familiar with the prophet Elijah, who would have, have... uh, heard story after story about the prophet Elijah in their upbringing, in their background. And so this evening, we're going to unpack a little bit of what he's talking about as he, as he deals with the prophet Elijah. But I want to give you a preview. Here's where we're going this evening. My aim is to preach three specific points to you tonight. Very Baptist of me. Uh, one is, how is last week's passage illustrated by the life of the prophet Elijah? How does Elijah's life illustrate all that Mark preached last week? Secondly, we're going to see that it's the object of our faith that is central to all of this. And that's, that statement is going to make way more sense in a few minutes. And that leads us to the main takeaway. Number three, that God is calling us to seek him through persevering in prayer. When we do that, we align our hearts with all that he wants to accomplish through us. That's where we're headed this afternoon. Um, And with that, let's read our passage together. Uh, We're going to focus on verses 17 and 18, but let's back up and reread what Mark preached through last week so we get the full picture of the passage and the illustration. Starting in verse 13, it says, Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Here's our passage. Elijah was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. 
Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. Man, thanks be to God for the reading of his word tonight. So glad that we have his word. As you read through verses 13 to 16, you have to ask the question, especially as we look at 17 and 18 in Elijah, you have to go back and ask the question, what is the central theme of 13 to 16? Why does Elijah even come into the picture? What is James trying to say? What's his overarching message that even points to Elijah? We spent last week unpacking each of those, those items that James talks about, suffering and, and sickness, uh, praying for healing, confessing sin. But as you look at our two verses, specifically as it points to the life of Elijah, you have to zoom out a bit. Now, last week we spent time kind of really looking at the nuts and bolts, zoomed in on every kind of aspect. Tonight we're zooming out a bit and looking at the overarching theme of the passage. It's, it's good to, to have the zoomed-in view because it, it's good to ask those questions and to address all those individual topics. But if, we, if we're going to look at the life of Elijah, we have to be careful not to be distracted and to go on tangents and go on detours. Uh, we could easily do that, and it would take away from, from what we're going to look at tonight with Elijah. So the interesting thing here is that James uses multiple examples of situations where we should persevere in praying. As you look at 13 and 16, 13, 16 there's, there's several different ways how you should pray. We, we see that he starts off with situations where we're to pray in private. Is anyone suffering? He should pray. Uh, that, that's meant to be a private individual thing. And, and we may invite others to pray for us in that, but we're to continue in prayer in these situations. And then James switches to prayer that expands beyond the individual in a way that, that includes and connects to the rest of the local church. And each of these examples is both the when and the how to actually persevere in prayer. And so here's what I mean. He starts off, like I said, with suffering. And in the midst of those days, he says, persevere in praying. And James writes all this as, as personal instructions. He, he means for this to be individual because of the nature of the word that he uses. He uses a Greek word there for, for that word prayer that means this, to interact with the Lord by switching human wishes or human ideas for God's wishes as he imparts faith. I'm going to read that again. The definition is to interact with the Lord by switching human wishes and ideas for his wishes as he imparts faith. So you're still wondering why this is private prayer. Well, that kind of prayer deals with the individual heart, doesn't it? it only, only you can submit to God. Only you can submit your heart to God. Only I can submit my heart to God. I can't do that for you, and you can't do that for me. So that's, that's a personal thing. But then James moves on to the next situation, illness. He says, are you unwell? One thing Scripture calls for is bringing the elders into the, uh, of the church into the conversation. So admittedly, there, as an elder of this church, there's nothing more special about my prayers than your prayers or your prayers or your prayers. But there is something special about submitting to God and His plans. There is something special about uh, co connecting the local church. There is something special about the elders of a church being the under-shepherds who, who reflect the, the good shepherd, Jesus. 
that as, as we try to be a picture of Christ and, and pastoring and leading, that there is, there is this submission and connection to the local church that happens. There's an identification to the local church when you and I practice this. We say that we're in agreement with the Lord, uh, that the church is the primary context through which we live out our lives. That our lives, we talked about this many times, our lives aren't meant to be segmented. They aren't meant to be isolated so that I have these boxes of my life that are, that are mine over here and I have this church box. No, no, they're meant to be integrated into the life of the body, that all of life is integrated into the life of the, of the church. We show that when we take action like James instructs us to here. So because the local church is the mechanism through which we live life and the community that we root ourselves in, we see that we also are to persevere in prayer with the local church. So in the midst of all, all of the secondary questions like, do we use anointing oil or not, which, which are right and good to ask, or, or do we bring the elders in, when do we not bring the elders? Those things are good to ask, we ha- but we have to stay focused on the main point that we persevere in prayer, especially as we look at the life of Elijah here. So that's why James writes verse 17 to point us to Elijah. This, and this is point number one, that it's important to understand how Elijah is an illustration of the rest of this passage. So let's read, reread verses 17 and 18 again. It says, Elijah was a human being as we are. Let's just say that phrase again. Elijah was a human being as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produces fruit. Elijah was human. He was a normal person like we are. We build him up. We build up other biblical characters in the same way in our minds to take on this almost demigod-like status. We turn them into invincible figures in our mind. Superpowers is what we think. They had no vulnerabilities. They had epic superpowers. They were something out of a Marvel film is what we think. But Elijah had the same kind of struggles that you and I have. He had the same kind of highs and lows as he journeyed in his faith with God, just like us. But we forget about the lows. We only remember the highs. All right, let's, let's just walk through some of these, these highs together. We only remember Elijah for the mighty works that God did through him, like during the early days of the drought that our passage talks about and references, Elijah spent time out in the wilderness and he's, he, he hung out in this ravine that contained this, this riverbed in the wet season. And 1 Kings 17 tells us that Elijah stayed there and he drank from the wadi that was there, or the riverbed that was there. And ravens would come and bring him food. I don't know about you, but um, anytime I've had any kind of interaction with birds and food is always they're taking food away from me. It's never them delivering food to me, you know? So imagine yourself sitting out in this wilderness that God has put you in where there's water there in the midst of this drought and birds, ravens are coming and delivering. It's it's the ultimate pre-Amazon delivery service, you know, right there, food dropped right to you. Uh, But as the drought wore on, we find that the riverbed dried up Elijah was led by the Lord to to move on to somewhere else, and he finds himself staying with a widow and her son. And God caused 
one small jar of flour and one jug of oil in this widow's home to last throughout the drought. That, those two things, the oil and the, and the flour, never ran out for three and a half years for that, for that woman and her son, her family. One day, the widow's son gets ill and he dies. Elijah prays and through the power of the Spirit sees that boy come back to life. We remember those things because those things are unbelievable. Years later, after the drought, Israel's king, Ahaziah, he has an accident. He falls out of a window, and the accident leaves him with a terrible injury. Um, it, it doesn't say exactly how bad, but it, it, it implies that he's, he's permanently paralyzed or crippled or something like that. And, and instead of seeking the Lord, the evil king of, of Israel, the Bible says that he was an evil king, Ahaziah, he sends messengers not to the Lord, but to the other pagan nations around, to those temples, because he's wanting to, to seek help from the pagan gods. And so as he sends those messengers out to inquire of the pagan gods and the surrounding nations, God Almighty sends Elijah to meet those messengers and to say, sorry, but things are not going to go so well for you. Judgment is coming upon you because you did not seek me, God. And Elijah pronounces a death sentence as a result upon King Ahaziah. King Ahaziah, as you can imagine, hears this news and he's He's in a bit of distress, as we, I think we all would be at news like that. And he sends soldiers three times out to Elijah, just to have Elijah come and meet him. Uh, and, and the first two times, it doesn't go so well. Both, both times, the captain and the 50 men, they reach Elijah, and fire falls down and consumes the men in judgment from God. Because of these things, because of stories like that, we think of Elijah as a superhero. We think of him being kind of Superman-esque with no kryptonite vulnerability. Like There's no chink in the armor with this guy. But what's interesting is that Elijah faced the same kind of things that James references here in our passage from last week. Elijah was distraught over the... We, we pass over this. Elijah was distraught by the illness of the boy when he prayed for him. And it, it doesn't just, God doesn't just raise the boy from, from one prayer. It says he prayed, and then he prayed again, and then he prayed three different times. He was seeking the Lord over this and out of desperation before God moved. In one of the most well-known stories about Elijah, Elijah finds himself in the ultimate showdown of, of him against 450 prophets of Baal, and they're in a contest to see whose God is the real God. Is it the Lord of hosts, God Almighty, Yahweh, or is it Baal? And these prophets of Baal spend all day trying to get Baal to call down fire out of heaven to prove that he's the right God. And after that doesn't work, Elijah says, well, let me take my turn. And, uh, and, and the competition is God is going to send fire from heaven and, and, and consume the altar, on the, the sacrifice on the altar. Well, Elijah has them pour water all over the sacrifice and digs a trench around it and fills up the trench. And he prays one simple prayer, and God sends fire from heaven and consumes the sacrifice and all of the water. It is gone. At the height of Elijah's so-called power and popularity, right after that moment, the queen, Jezebel, who was not there, sends word and threatens Elijah's life. And Elijah, 
having seen what he just saw and witnessed what he just witnessed, experiencing the power of God, he does not respond like he saw the power of God. He fears for his life, and he runs. He finds himself on the run out in the wilderness. This same prophet who saw God use his prayers to raise a boy back to life, he's now afraid because of the threats of a mere queen. But he's so afraid that it sends him into a spiral. Elijah goes and he hides in the wilderness. And listen to what 1 Kings 19.4 says. But he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. He said, I have had enough. Lord, take my life for it's, I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Elijah is completely overcome with despondency and depression. And he's not just fearful of his life, but he actually wants his life to be over. Elijah feels like everything has been for nothing, and he prays for the Lord just to take his life. But the Lord in his goodness sends an angel to minister to the physical needs and to encourage Elijah. And Elijah turns the corner. And there's a lot more to that story, and you can go back in, in 1 Kings 19 and, and read uh, the rest of that story on your own. But my point is this. Elijah was exactly like you and me, exactly like us. Uh, he, 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 he was forgetful. How often do we forget who the Lord is? We come in here, and on a Sunday, we have a time of worship. Again, this evening, like this morning, so powerful, so evident that the Spirit is at work in our lives, and we profess who God is, and we are in awe of who He is, and then we go out of here, and not even the next day, a lot of times, we totally forget who God is. Our memory is so short. Or we sing songs about who God has called us to be or who he's pronounced us to be, that we are now son and we're daughter and we're free and no longer a slave and we're victorious and that we have the righteousness of Christ applied to our life. And then we forget and we go back to those same old things that we said we were never going to go back to. The way we fight through all of that is through drawing near to the Lord in prayer. And I don't mean in one momentary kind of one-sentence prayer. And there's a place for that. But what I'm talking about tonight specifically is persevering in prayer. Look at verse 17 again. It says, Elijah was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. James writes that Elijah prayed earnestly. I love, I almost fell there. I love the CSB. It's a good translation. I'm so glad that we used this translation uh, I don't know if you know this about the Bible, but the, the original uh, scriptures were not written in English. What <laughs> we have are translations of, of manuscript, ancient, ancient manuscripts, thousands of ancient manuscripts that are translated into to English. And that's why you have all kind of different translations of the Bible. But I love this translation. It is literal, but it's not so literal that it's clunky and it's hard to read. Uh, but the CSB translates this description of Elijah as praying earnestly. And I have no doubt that he did pray earnestly, but, but that one phrase doesn't fully capture the whole sentiment of what James is writing there. The most literal translation of that phrase from the Greek is that Elijah prayed with prayer, which is kind of foreign to us. We understand why it translated prayed earnestly. We're like, what does that mean, prayed with prayer? How do you pray with prayer? Uh, but 
here's what this means. He, he, yes, he prayed with sincerity. Yes, he prayed with conviction. I have no doubt. He prayed earnestly. But the phrase prayed with prayer means Elijah persisted in praying earnestly. It wasn't an earnest one-sentence prayer. It, was, it wasn't a one-time, one-moment prayer. The picture that's painted there is that it was almost a laboring in prayer, a, a, a yearning for God and a, and a longing for God and a persevering in prayer. It, it's interesting to me that, that James picks this particular instance as his example of Elijah being a man of prayer. He doesn't choose any of those other stories that we've talked about tonight. He could have. That those were powerful stories. Instead, he chooses to point to the drought that 1 Kings 17 describes. And, and, and the interesting thing is 1 Kings 17 doesn't really even talk much about Elijah praying about in the drought. Uh, we learn most of that through Jewish tradition, and we find that Elijah actually does pray from, for the heavens to dry up and then for them to open. But, but why do you think James chooses to use this as his illustration about prayer. Well, I think it's because of what we just read, that, that at Mount Carmel, when, when he's in that showdown against the prophets of Baal, Elijah prayed one simple prayer. It wasn't big. It wasn't elaborate. It wasn't flowery. It was just, God, send down the fire, and boom, the fire of God falls. Here, Elijah prays with prayer. He persists, and he persists, and he labors in prayer. I think that's why. This is, this is an example of, of what it means to, to pray when you're suffering, to pray when you're ill, to pray when you, there's strife in the body and you need to confess sin. But I think there's another reason, and, and this is partly speculation, but it's educated speculation. But could it be that, that James uses this instance because Elijah had to wait three and a half years for this process to be over? It wasn't an instant. It was three and a half years. Think about your life three and a half years ago. Where were you? What were you doing? You know, From that point to now, praying consistently every day for something. There's a bit of time that happens there. There's a bit of uh, ups and downs that happen there. Could it be because of what the Lord did in Elijah's life and all those days between when God initiated the drought and when it began to rain and all the highs and the lows. See, the man we find before the drought and the man we find after the drought are two very different men. Yeah, God, Elijah knew who God was and he followed God and he was faithful to the Lord. But this Elijah knew what the provision of God meant. This Elijah knew what hope in God in the midst of despair meant. This Elijah knew when the world around you is threatening your life, how to rest in the peace of God. He knew what that Man, this Elijah has walked through different days, things that have stretched his faith. He's had to struggle through and labor through. The, the main difference between the Elijah before and the Elijah after the drought is this Elijah lived through all that stuff, and now he recognizes the voice of the Lord in his life. He understands the voice of the Lord. He's walked far enough and long enough to discern the still, small voice of the Lord. He's continued in prayer to the point that Elijah doesn't just speak anymore. We often think of prayer being one-sided that I speak. I give my requests. Elijah didn't just give requests anymore. Now he listens and he hears the voice of the Lord. So I ask this afternoon, are you persevering in prayer? 
And as you ponder that, uh, it'd be a good time for us to move on to the second main point this afternoon. Look back at the end of verse 16. Now let's read the last half of that verse. It says, The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. James writes that, and then he immediately reminds us of Elijah's humanity. Elijah was a human being. Uh, but he reminds his readers who culturally see Elijah as a superhero-like figure, because they all saw Elijah as a deliverer, a picture of the coming Messiah. Elijah was that kind of person to them. So him writing that about his humanity was extremely deliberate. Because while that statement is true that he was a great prophet, it can, it can also be under, misunderstood. So let's think for a moment. Let's understand what, what he's talking about, about the, uh, the persevering prayer, the, the prayer of a righteous person uh, availing much, as the old King James says. So uh, as you think, as you and I seek to, to persevere in prayer, the emphasis is not on the quantity of our faith, but it's actually on the object of our faith. So I want to just urge you tonight to resist the temptation to think that if you and I can just muster up enough faith, if we can just work enough faith up in our hearts, that that that's going to change everything. Or or that the reason you're not seeing the things that you're praying for, whether it's healing or breakthrough or whatever it might be in your life, is because of a lack of faith. And and to be clear, having faith is important. We, We need to have faith. But let's make the distinction that the quantity of your faith isn't what saves you. The quantity of your faith isn't what brings deliverance. It's the object of your faith that brings those things. God in His grace, through the working of His Spirit, does the work. Uh, do you remember the time that, that Jesus has, has stepped away from the disciples and, and, and He comes back only to find that there's a crowd around the disciples and there's this kind of this uproar going on and he tries to get to the bottom of it, and, and it turns out that there's a man who his son has been afflicted by demon possession for years, and it, the son finds himself being thrown into fire over and over again. And so this man brings his son to the disciples, hoping to see Jesus. And so the disciples begin to pray for, for this, this child to be delivered, but they're not seeing any kind of breakthrough. There's no, no answer to their prayers. And so uh, they're trying to figure out, Lord, why isn't, why isn't this working? And, and this is what it says in, in Matthew 17, 19 to 20. Then the disciples approached Jesus privately and said, Why couldn't we drive it out? Because of your little faith, he told them. For truly I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will tell this mountain, Move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus tells them this to illustrate that it's not about the amount of your faith you can work up in your heart. It's about the one in whom you have placed that faith. It's about the object of your faith. This phrase, move a mountain, is a common metaphor in Jewish writing for doing something that's completely impossible. And that's because to move a mountain is impossible. (laughs) So uh, this would have been really, really familiar for the disciples. This phrase would have been. So they would have understood what Jesus is saying here. Jesus isn't saying that if you just believe hard enough that you can, like any good Jedi, raise your hand, use the force, and move the mountain over. That's not what he's saying there. Jesus is saying is if you hold fast in your faith, in your trust in God, in your trust in his character, 
and in his good purposes for you and for this world, then you can face the impossible because it's not about you. It's about God. It's, if you think about it, that makes perfect sense as, as you go back to our passage, especially verse 16. In the last half of that, it, it again, it says, The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. And that, that's an interesting phrase, the prayer of a righteous person. The, the word righteous there directly refers to your standing before God. So are you righteous before God or not? Are you holy and pure before God or, or not? It's, it's being right or acceptable before God. So in one sense, this, this really describes the standing of, of Christ before the Father on our behalf. As we look and we, and we, we trust in Jesus, it's, we trust in that he is holy and pure and without sin before the Father. And we trust in his life and his sacrifice. But in the context of our passage here, this is referring more to than just the person who's professed faith in Christ. It's talking about continual, consistent obedience that's cultivated in that sanctification process where the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, is making us more and more and more into the likeness of Christ every day as we walk in obedience. So in that sense, this is talking about the person who in their thinking, in their feeling, and in their acting is cultivating a habit of obedience. Every day, just recognizing it's about today, I'm going to be obedient today, I can't control tomorrow, can't control yesterday, today, right now, I can't control my obedience. I'm going to be obedient, I'm going to be faithful, I'm going to look to you, Lord. I'm going to learn, I'm going to lean into what you're calling me to, to do. I'm going to lean in what you say and who you say you are and who you say I am. I'm going to act appropriately and, and, uh, and according to those things. So essentially, the righteous person in verse 16 is talking about what Jesus described many times to his disciples. And it's something that we've talked a lot about here on Sundays, that, that uh, the obedience, it, while it doesn't earn us anything with God, it doesn't gain us any favor. We're not trying to gain favor with God or, or earn credit with him. No, we're obedient because we want to demonstrate our love to God. And the best way to demonstrate our love to God is to be faithful and obedient before him. This is what Jesus says about this several times in John's gospel. John 15, 14, Jesus says to his disciples, You are my friends if you do what I command you. John 15, 10, you, if you keep my commandments, so if you do those things, if you obey, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and abide in his love. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Then in, in John's letter, in 1 John 5, 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. So if we kind of pull all of this apart and, and, and look at it from this kind of panoramic-like perspective, what we find is that it's in the middle of walking out obedience that a deeper love for God is cultivated more and more in our hearts. And this affects how we live. Obedience over a long season helps us to clearly see more and more of the splendor and majesty of God. The more and more you love God, the more satisfying he becomes to you. And the more glorious he is as you behold him. How could this not then affect our prayer life? This goes back to those two Elijahs. This one over here. Yes, he was faithful, 
But after walking through all these things, oh my goodness, this Elijah right here saw God is so glorious, so grand, and his prayers reflected it. If you're satisfied with God and are absolutely astounded by his glory and splendor, then your prayer life will most definitely reflect this. As we grow in prayer, we grow in our understanding of God, which affects the power of our prayers, like verse 16 is talking about. Again, not because we grow in the amount of faith, but even though that probably will happen, but because it's about the object of our faith. We grow in power in prayer because of how much better we understand who God is. And this, that thought right there, is what James is getting at when he brings up Elijah as this example for us. Elijah understood understood that it was through the empowering work of the Spirit of God that allowed him to do the things that he did. But it was because of Elijah's communion with God and his prayer life that all of that even happened in the first place. Elijah was used to praying and hearing back from God. He spent time listening to the voice of the Spirit of God. I wonder how often we do that. How often do we spend just listening for the voice of God in our life? This last week, I was listening to Sinclair Ferguson's daily devotional podcast called Things Unseen, and I would highly recommend it to you. It, uh, it, uh, it's very, they're very short, you know, five minutes or so, and in every day, Monday through Friday, he has, he has a short one to, to listen to. And, and this week, it was all about the Holy Spirit, and he made the point that, that Jesus told his disciples that it was better for him, for them, if he went away. Because then the one who's like him, the comforter, would come and indwell them. So it was better for Jesus to go away and for the comforter to come. And Ferguson makes the point that if if we're really honest, us here today, given the choice between having Jesus in the flesh or having the spirit within us to indwell us, if we're really honest, we probably would say, I think I would prefer to have Jesus because I can touch someone in the flesh can hear easily their voice, can see this person. But Jesus said it's better for him to be away, for the Spirit to be within us, empowering us. In our hearts and our minds, always kind of bringing correction, bringing wisdom, bringing equipping, bringing the things that we need. We need the Spirit. But are we listening to his voice As if Jesus were here, we listen to his voice. Are we listening for the voice of the Spirit? Are we asking him to speak through his word as we read it? I know so often I can open my Bible app or open this, and I read through my checklist, and I I don't know that I'm being attentive to, what are you you saying to me today? It's it's like, oh, that that is good content. I'm so glad I read that. Put that away now. Oh, it's, oh, Lord, what are you saying today? How, how can I be more like you? How can I know you more? How, how can I be more obedient? How, how can these things draw me into prayer, into more of a sense of awe of who you are? Elijah demonstrated a, a life of relying on his relationship with the Lord to be the source of all he did, all he did in life. Was he flawed? Yes. <laughs> Was he like us? Absolutely. And that is for that exact reason, that we can take courage today. Because if a man like us did the things that we read about Elijah, man, there is hope for us. If you think about it, Elijah wasn't just a good example to us because of the things he did the right way. He's an example to us because Elijah points us to Jesus. There's so many aspects about Elijah's life that mirrors Jesus' life. Elijah was tested in the wilderness. So was Jesus. 
the Bible says that Jesus was let out in the wilderness to, to be tempted. The Spirit of God empowered Elijah to do the seemingly impossible. Elijah prayed, and a boy who, was, who had died was brought back to life. That's exactly what happened to Jesus. And the synagogue leader, Jairus, his daughter, Jesus raised this, this little girl from the dead. Elijah saw God multiply a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil and to last throughout a drought. Well, Jesus took a few loaves and a few fish, and he multiplied it and saw thousands fed. But as great as Elijah was, Jesus was the even better Elijah. We could spend a whole lot of time talking about what, what all that means, but, but let's limit it to just the scope of what we're talking about today, just prayer. Not once in Scripture do we ever see Elijah persevere the way that Jesus persevered. And we just talked about the way Elijah persevered. In the wilderness, Elijah despaired while Jesus conquered. Elijah caved under the weight of despondency and depression, waiting to end his life, wanting to end his life. Jesus fought off the temptations of the evil one, and he was victorious. Both saw their needs met by an angel afterwards, but for Elijah, it was comfort in the midst of suffering. For Jesus, it was in the midst of victory over conquering temptation. Both saw their needs met in that way, but for Jesus, it was more than just being comforted. Elijah's great, and he's a great example, but Jesus is the better Elijah. Just before he was betrayed, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed this. He prays a, prays a prayer that we don't ever see Elijah praying. Jesus, our Savior, submitted to the Father, and he prayed, Father, not my will. Lord, I want this. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to bear the wrath that you are going to pour out upon me, but not my will. Your will be done. Jesus is the better Elijah. The main thought this afternoon is, is this, that God is calling us to seek him through persevering in prayer. And when we do that, we align our hearts with his purposes that he intends to accomplish in and through us. Just like when we talk about persevering in salvation, to persevere in prayer is not to endure through your own efforts and energy and strength. It's about taking hold of and, and utilizing the resources that he has generously given to you. Prayer is an incredible resource. But we so often treat it like it's an option, that it doesn't really matter. I can take it, I can leave it. It's not going to really affect my faith in God or my, my relationship with God either way. I'm just, it's there if I want it. But that's not the truth. We will never grow close to the Lord and cultivate intimacy if we're not pursuing him in a prayer. So think about it this way. Have you ever been given a gift card for a restaurant or, or a nice meal? And, and you take that gift card and you know it's a really nice gift. Oh, you're, oh, so nice. Thank you so much. That's amazing you give me this gift card. And you take it and you put it in a place. If you're like me, it's probably in a place that you, you want to put it so that you don't forget about it, but inevitably you forget about it. Uh, but it, all the while, it's sitting there. At any time, you can have this meal, this great experience. It may be even, probably even, an experience that you wouldn't pay for on your own. If it's a nice gift. It's sitting there. But you won't ever experience this amazing meal if you never use the gift. The gift of prayer is the exact same way. God invites us to seek him. He invites us to behold him in prayer. He invites us to hear the direction that he offers. But are you actually utilizing the gift? So we close with this challenge this afternoon. 
The challenge isn't to do better. <laughs> it's not to buckle down and pray more. Come on, people, just do better. That's not the challenge today. The challenge is this, is to look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He's the better Elijah. Through his spirit, he offers for you to draw near to him in prayer. So behold Jesus. Look at him. See how glorious he is. Cultivate a sense of awe in your heart for him. And in the middle of your beholding him, you will find your prayer life changing. You'll find the truth of, of James 5.16 to be more and more the reality of your life. The prayer of a righteous person it is very powerful in its effect. Cultivating this kind of prayer life takes time. It's, it's, it's not the kind of thing you participate in, like it's a, a post on social media that you look, read it and, that's funny, that's nice, and scroll on to the next thing. It's not a momentary thing. There are occasions for, for, for quick one-sentence prayers, but what we're talking about today is about cultivating time with God. Are you spending time with God? This week, we have an opportunity that you can take advantage of for you to do just that. I, I strongly encourage you to, to think about signing up for one of the prayer slots. What a great opportunity to cultivate instant application in your life. Uh, spend time with the Lord. I promise you won't regret it. Um, recently, uh, you've heard us talk about Tim Keller passed away just a couple weeks ago. And um, in, the, in the weeks before his death, I, I saw where someone had asked him, you know, Tim, what, is there anything that you regret in your life? Uh, and, and he was pretty quick to respond and say, yeah, I regret I didn't pray more. It's this godly man who spent his life devoted to the Lord. And you won't ever regret praying more. So in closing this afternoon, look to Christ. As you consider your prayer life, are you more focused on trying to muster up enough faith to try to see whatever you're praying for come true or delivered or whatever it might be? Or are you focused on the object of your faith? Are you focused on beholding the glory of Christ? Focus on the object of your faith and the quantity will follow. Today, God invites all of us to seek him in prayer. And that's something that's available to every single one of us. For those who are here or who are watching who have never trusted in Jesus as the way that you can have hope and meaning and peace and purpose, the way to be made right with God, the offer is to pray to him and to believe. To believe. Prayer is simply a conversation between you and God, just like he was sitting right next to you. In fact, you didn't even have to pray audibly. He knows your heart. He knows your mind. He knows the things that you're thinking. To talk to him as if he were right there. If you have questions about that, we would love to talk to you after the service. I would happily love just to pray with you or spend time talking to you. But Christian, seek after him in prayer. Look to Christ and behold him as you pray. We're going to spend some time responding to what we've, we've heard from God's word this afternoon. And we're going to respond by singing and through partaking in the table. And after we sing, after we close in prayer, we're going to have a time for, for tea and coffee and some things to, to eat over there. But uh, remember, this is I want to encourage you to, to go beyond the surface level conversation. Yes, the weather has been changeable today. We've, let's just get that off the table. We, we've talked about that, okay? Go beyond that. Let's talk about the important things that matter. If you're struggling in some way, talk about that. Let's, we want to pray for you. If you need prayer, I would happily pray. Mark would happily pray for you. There, there are several of us here who would happily spend time praying for you. If there's an issue in your life, healing, 
whatever it might be, there's an opportunity for us to pray for those things. So as we come to the table this afternoon, I just want to, to say that this is for anyone who professes faith in Jesus. You are welcome and invited to take part in that. But if this, that's not something you've ever done. If you've never put faith in Jesus, we ask you just to abstain from, from that, from taking in that. It was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that, that he took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. At the end of the meal, he took the cup and he raised it and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. You know the old covenant. This is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you do this, you remember Christ's death as he, as, until he comes. And so this afternoon, as, as we take this bread, we remember that Jesus' death purchased free access to God for us. As we take this cup, we remember that we now have access to pray to our Father with no hindrance, with no, no separation. We can now freely interact with God. We now have the Spirit in us. We remember that today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It is so good. Thank you that you've given us examples like Elijah that we can look to, people who were like us that you used. But God, thank you so much that even though Elijah is such a good example, Jesus, you are the better Elijah. Thank you that we can look to you, not just as, as our example, but as the one who uh, captivates our hearts, who is satisfying to us, who offers us hope and peace and purpose. May we find our, all of our longings fulfilled in you. May we look to you for all things. May we cultivate a sense of prayer, a perseverance of prayer in our hearts and in our lives because of how you have changed us. Help us to be a people who listen for the voice of your spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.